Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, Connie Crispel. But first, your true crime headlines. A Pennsylvania man who refused to wear a mask in a cigar store has been charged with seven counts of attempted murder of a police officer after authorities say he fired an AK-47 at state troopers. At around 11.30 a.m. on July 31st, 35-year-old Adam Michael Zaborowski went to Cigars International and entered the store without a mask in violation of the store's policy and Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf's statewide mandate. Staff at the store told Zaborowski that due to COVID-19, they required all patrons to cover their mouth and nose with a face covering, Bethlehem Township Authority said in a statement. The staff even told Zaborowski that if he was not comfortable wearing a face covering, they would take his order curbside. Zaborowski became irate, grabbed two cigars from a shelf and exited the store without paying. A clerk then followed him outside, demanding that he return the stolen cigars. Zaborowski turned around, pulled a semi-automatic handgun from the pocket of his shorts and fired one round into the air and then two rounds at the staff member, the police statement said. A patron was sitting behind the staff member as the rounds were fired. No one was injured in the shooting. Police officers went to Zaborowski's home the following morning and were awaiting the arrival of the arrest warrants when they saw him get into his truck and leave. They pulled Zaborowski over a few blocks away. That's when police say he exited his truck, pulled out an AK-47, and opened fire. Police returned fire, injuring Zaborowski. He was flown by helicopter to St. Luke's University Hospital in Fountain Hill for treatment of wounds to his leg and buttocks. None of the officers were seriously injured. Zaborowski's attorney, John Waldron, told reporters that stress due to the pandemic contributed to his client's actions. Zaborowski recently lost both his job and a court battle over the custody of his child. Waldron said, quote, he just wasn't dealing well with the loss of his job, the loss of his child, just not handling the pandemic well. I think he was getting stretched too tight. Zaborowski faces charges of attempted murder, two counts of aggravated assault, two counts of robbery, and two counts of reckless endangerment, as well as possession of a firearm while prohibited due to a previous aggravated assault conviction. Zaborowski was arraigned Saturday from his hospital bed, and bail was set at $1 million. A Virginia rape suspect who was released from jail amid coronavirus concerns has murdered his accuser and committed suicide, according to police. 33-year-old Ibrahim Boichi had reportedly been in a relationship with 31-year-old Carla Dominguez, but after an allegedly violent incident at her apartment on October 10, 2019, Dominguez told police that Boichi broke into her apartment and sexually assaulted her. Boichi was charged with six felony counts that included rape, strangulation, and abduction. He turned himself in on October 21st and was held without bond. 
But when the COVID-19 pandemic hit, Boichi's lawyers argued that he should be freed while awaiting trial because the virus endangered both inmates and their attorneys. Despite the objections of a prosecutor on April 9th, he was released on $25,000 bond. Circuit Court Judge Nolan Dawkins agreed to the release on the condition that Boichi only leave his home to meet with lawyers or pretrial services officials, but did not order electronic monitoring for Boichi. On July 29th, Carla Dominguez was found shot to death outside of her apartment. Two days later, police obtained a murder warrant for Boichi. But when they went to arrest him, he was gone. Authorities said that after several days of searching, federal marshals and Alexandria police spotted and pursued Boichi in Prince George's County on Wednesday. He crashed his vehicle, and as police moved in to arrest him, he shot himself. Boichi's family released a statement following his death on Saturday. Our brother and son Ibrahim died today, having taken his own life. We are incredibly saddened by Carla's death and wish this tragedy had never happened. As we lay our son to rest, we ask for peace for everyone involved as we grieve our losses. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, Connie Crispel. But first, a quick break. These are challenging times. And in difficult times, it can be difficult to cope. So if you've been thinking about talking to someone, it's time to get BetterHelp. BetterHelp is not a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist so that you can start communicating in under 48 hours. The service is available for clients worldwide, and there's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in your area. Just log in to your account anytime and send a message directly to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus schedule weekly video or phone sessions so that you don't ever have to sit in a waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if you need to. Plus, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Just visit their website and read the testimonials posted daily. Like this one, written by a BetterHelp user after two weeks of counseling with Ingrid Johnson. Ingrid is amazing and is always the one I turn to when I feel like my world is falling apart. This experience has helped my anxiety so much. Or this one from a BetterHelp user who's been counseling with Kathleen Monroe for five months. Kathleen has developed a partnership that I've never experienced with a counselor before. This experience has been imperative to my health. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MurderMinute. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. And join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. 
In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're now recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. And now, Murder Minute listeners get 10% off their first month when they visit betterhelp.com slash murderminute. That's betterhelp.com slash murderminute. Are you experiencing stress, anxiety? Do you have chronic pain or trouble sleeping? You're not alone. If you're searching for something that might help, I want to tell you about Feels. Feels is premium CBD delivered directly to your doorstep that helps you reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness naturally. Just place a few drops of Feels under your tongue and you'll feel the difference within minutes. I take Feels for my chronic back pain, and these days, it's helping me sleep better at night as well. Feels is a better way to feel better. Their premium CBD will keep your head clear and help you feel your best. But Feels knows that navigating the world of CBD can be complicated. At Feels, they want to make the process as simple as possible so that you can start feeling better sooner. So if you're new to CBD, Feels offers a free CBD hotline to help guide you through the process. Don't worry, Feels works naturally to help you feel better. There's no high, no hangover, and no addiction. But if you still have questions, Feels has you covered with real human support. Join the Feels community now and get Feels delivered to your door every month. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. And Feels hassle-free membership program is guaranteed to help you feel your best month after month or your money back. It's that simple. Feels has me feeling my best every day, and it can help you too. Become a member today by going to feels.com mm, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's f-e-a-l-s dot mm to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Get the new, natural, healthy, better way to feel better. Go to feels.com slash mm. Welcome back to Murder Minute. Constance Louise Crispel, born in 1952, was the red-haired, green-eyed fifth daughter of Dr. Kenneth R. Crispel, former director of the Department of Medicine at the New York Medical College, and later, the Dean of the University of Virginia Medical School and Vice President of the University's Medical Center. Connie, as she was known, was raised with her four older sisters and younger brother in a well-to-do world of servants, tennis clubs, and high society. The Crispel home was designed by Thomas Jefferson and was located on the lawn of the university, where the historic pavilions, as the residences were known, were bestowed by the university upon only an elite few. In high school, Connie was a bright, outgoing, and well-liked student. 
described by friends as Miss Popularity, but always friendly and helpful, never a snob. The Crispels seemed to have it all, until in 1968, when Connie was 16, her younger brother Johnny died tragically in a car accident at the age of 12. It was a trauma from which Connie's friends said that she never fully recovered. After she graduated from high school, Connie left Virginia to attend the University of Georgia. One year later, she dropped out, and in 1974, at age 22, Connie moved to New York City. She rented a two-bedroom apartment at 12 East 86th Street, just off Central Park, for $500 a month, equivalent to roughly $2,700 a month today, and shared the apartment with roommates. To earn money, Connie tried her hand at various odd jobs. At first, Connie attempted to sell jewelry made out of subway tokens to department stores like Bloomingdale's. Later, she tried starting a bartender for hire service. But while Connie couldn't exactly stand on her own two feet financially, she quickly found her footing on the dance floor at the legendary Studio 54. If Connie was an expert at anything, it was how to make friends in high places. She could walk into a restaurant or a bar full of strangers and come out knowing half the people in the place, recalled a man who dated her at the time. She seemed to have become an expert. She knew all the clubs before New York Magazine knew about them. According to New York Magazine, Connie and her roommate fell into a routine that began with taking a nap after work. They rose at about 10 p.m. and showered. They put on disco music to get themselves in the proper spirit, and Crystal often made a pitcher of vodka tonics. Then they hopped in a cab and headed for Studio 54, often returning home at 4 a.m. Connie was, as one friend described her, Miss Party Girl of New York City. But by the end of the 1970s, the party seemed to be ending. Her roommate gave up the club scene and moved out of the apartment. And in 1980, Studio 54 got shut down when the owners were busted for tax evasion. But Connie continued to party, living above her means in the lifestyle that she was accustomed to, spending money that she didn't really have. Although Connie lived paycheck to paycheck, she dined at expensive restaurants like the exclusive Windows on the World at the top of the World Trade Center, had drinks at the Plaza Hotel's famous Oak Bar, and spent her rent money on shopping sprees at Bloomingdale's. First class all the way, that was Connie, a man who dated her told the Washington Post. In a bar, she would never order the bar gin. It had to be the best. Connie was evicted from her apartment. But with some help from her father, Connie moved into a studio apartment in the old FBI building on East 69th Street, 
She seemed to identify with the heroine of Breakfast at Tiffany's, wrote New York Magazine, referring to her place as my Holly Golightly apartment. As the 1980s began, Connie, now in her late 20s, still couldn't seem to find steady income. She briefly held an office position with designer Carolina Herrera and sometimes helped to produce fashion shows, recruiting stylists and makeup artists. She seemed to know a core of these people, and she was well-dressed, hard-working, and very polite, said Madeline DeVries, who was the president of a public relations firm that hired Connie, but only for six weeks, as DeVries had no permanent position available. Connie then took a job as a junior account executive at the advertising firm Ogilvy & Mather, an entry-level public relations position where she worked on the Dove Soap account and promoted romance novels. But Connie wasn't happy in her new role, and according to her employer, the feeling was mutual. There were a lot of problems with Connie, a former senior colleague told the Washington Post. She was always rather perky and very, very bright, and very good with fashion and the media. But she was sort of will-o'-the-wisp. The problem was getting her to work. Whenever you needed her, she always seemed to be over at the plaza or something. She really did like the glamour, but sweaty, hard work, and poorly paid wasn't for Connie. She quit after a year and was hired briefly at Brooks Brothers, but the position was seasonal, and when the holidays ended, so did Connie's job. But Studio 54 reopened, and Connie returned, night after night after night. By 1982, Connie had become a kind of celebrity on the dance floor and was often admitted to the club without paying, according to New York Magazine. For a time, Connie moved in with a wealthy older man who kept her in the lifestyle that she was accustomed to. He was kind of like a sugar daddy, paying for this and that, recalled a friend. After it ended, it was kind of a come down for her. After that relationship ended, Connie, now 30, rented a room with striped wallpaper and a single bed at the all-female Martha Washington Hotel for $120 a week, equivalent to a little over $300 a week today. To support herself, Connie signed up with an escort service, known as Trist, a service that advertised on New York's adult entertainment cable TV channel as offering female escorts for $200 an hour. Trist gave Connie a beeper and sent her to meet men at the city's most expensive hotels. Staff at the Martha Washington remembered Connie making lots of telephone calls and that she stayed away often for days at a time. The manager told the Washington Post that Connie was, quote, 
courteous and very well-bred, but recalled contacting her after long absences to ask whether she would be staying on, and if not, what they should do with her possessions. I believe that reading labels is key. I do it with everything, from the food I buy to the beauty products I use. And this year, I've been making the switch to more natural products. That's why I decided to go native. Native deodorant doesn't just block odor better, it's made better, using natural ingredients that you can actually recognize, like tapioca starch, shea butter, and coconut oil. Did you know that most deodorants work by using aluminum which forms a plug in your sweat glands to keep you from sweating? Yeah, that didn't sound healthy to me either. That's why Native never uses ingredients like parabens, sulfates, aluminum, or talc. And switching to aluminum-free deodorant doesn't mean you have to sacrifice on odor protection. Native keeps me smelling and feeling fresh all day long. With over 10 cents, Native has something for everyone. Their most popular classic scents are coconut and vanilla, cucumber and mint, citrus and herbal, and my favorite, lavender and rose. And rotating seasonal scents like apple and honeysuckle, cactus flower and poppy, pumpkin spice latte, and my new summer favorite, rosé. So now my armpits can smell like my quarantine habit. Plus, Native is vegan and never tested on animals. So it's not just good for your body, it's good for everybody. Native is risk-free to try. Every product comes with free shipping within the US plus free 30-day returns and exchanges. Do what I did and make the switch to Native today by going to nativedo.com slash murderminute or use promo code murderminute at checkout to get 20% off your first order. That's n-a-t-i-v-e-d-e-o dot com slash murderminute or use the promo code murderminute at checkout for 20% off your first order. Go native. Do you have a lot on your mind? In times of stress or anxiety, it can be hard to remember to take time to focus on yourself. But your joy and pleasure are also so important, especially right now. Put your well-being first with Dipsy. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories and guided sessions that are designed to turn you on and help you get in touch with yourself. The stories are relatable and immersive so that you feel like you're right there. And there's something for everyone, whoever and whatever you're into. They add new content every week, so there's always more to explore. Find stories about a spontaneous hookup with a hot stranger getting closer with that sexy yoga instructor that you can't stop thinking about, or even stories about trying that new toy together or getting tied up. The wellness sessions can also help you unlock new confidence or heighten intimacy with your partner. 
with new stories every week, you'll never get bored. Spice things up today with Dipsy. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash mm. That's a 30-day free trial when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash mm. That's dipsystories.com slash mm. As Connie's friends from the club scene grew into more settled lives, Connie continued to go out to the discos night after night. It was at one disco on some night that she met a young man named Charles Ransom. Charles, or Chaz as he was called, was known in the club scene as a smooth talker who claimed to have a black belt in karate and looked older than his years. Chaz was still a teen when he met Connie. The drinking age in New York at that time was 19, and Chaz Ransom toured the clubs and discos looking for work as a bouncer. It's unclear if Chaz and Connie were ever in a serious relationship. But over the next year or so, Chaz Ransom would stay the night at Connie's apartment from time to time. He had no home of his own. By the spring of 1984, Connie had fallen ill. She confided in friends that she feared that she had contracted AIDS and was held for 10 days in Bellevue Hospital after she threatened to jump from a ninth floor apartment window. When she was released, Connie was back at Studio 54, inviting fellow club goers home with her for after-hours parties at her new sublet at 58 West 58th Street. The apartment was owned by clothing retailer Nathan Newman. Connie had met the Newman's 34-year-old son, Bruce, at the Oak Bar a year earlier. When the Newmans were looking for someone to sublet their $1,100 a month apartment, Bruce and Connie came up with an agreement. Connie would pay $600 a month and would vacate the apartment whenever the Newmans came back into town. Bruce believed that Connie worked in public relations and had no idea that she was working as a call girl. The Newman apartment quickly became a kind of salon, according to New York Magazine. Connie's parties were attended by heiresses, fashion designers, and even Randy Jones of the Village People. In May of 1984, Connie Crispell hosted a Kentucky Derby Day party for her friends at the apartment. Sometime after 1 a.m., after the guests had left, Chaz, who wasn't invited, showed up to the apartment. 20-year-old Charles Ransom would later tell police that he and Connie had sex that night, and that afterward, Connie told him that she thought she had AIDS. Ransom claimed that he blacked out when he strangled Connie Crispell, put a plastic bag over her head, 
stuffed her nude body in a steamer trunk and put the trunk on the balcony of the apartment. Chaz then left the apartment and went to see a movie. A horror movie. Friday the 13th. The final chapter. He returned to Connie's sublet with two prostitutes who stayed in the apartment for several days. But when the Newmans returned and found two young women in their apartment, but no Connie, they called the police. When NYPD arrived, one of the two girls, 17-year-old Lisa Mayo, told police that she believed the apartment belonged to her male friend, Chaz. As the police searched the apartment, they opened the trunk and found the nude body of 32-year-old Connie Crispell. She had been strangled so violently that her larynx had been crushed. New York City police detectives arrested Charles Ransom a few nights later at the Kamikaze Club, a popular neon-bright disco on the Lower West Side. According to club owner Kirk Walsh, Charles Ransom had tried to talk his way past the doorman that night and avoid paying the $10 cover charge. He was found wearing Connie Crispell's beeper. Court filings revealed that the 20-year-old grew up in foster care, had served time in jail, and had a criminal record for arson, weapons possession, and assault. Connie's New York friends disputed Charles Ransom's version of events and speculated that the two may have argued over money or that Ransom may have killed Connie because she decided to end their relationship. Friends and family back in Virginia couldn't believe that the girl they once knew had met such a tragic end. It's such an unbelievable thing. I just don't see how Connie could have been romantically involved with this person, high school friend Judith Keithley told the Washington Post. She was much too clean-cut and energetic. People just don't go downhill that much. To them, the news that Connie had been working as a high-priced call girl for at least a year and a half was unfathomable. It's like hearing she worked for the CIA or something said one man. As one of Connie's former co-workers put it, the glamour and quickness of New York overcame her like a cancer. A month after the murder, Connie's friends held a memorial at Fifth Avenue's St. Thomas Church to mourn the loss of a friend that New York Magazine dubbed the girl who always wanted one more moment of fun. Connie Crispell was buried in Charlottesville, Virginia, and her funeral was attended by about 150 friends and family. Connie was unfailingly giving to her friends, University Chaplain Clyde Watson said. She accepted them no questions asked, and would freely and unhesitatingly give her last penny to those in need. In 1985, 
Charles Ransom was sentenced to a minimum of 25 years in prison for second-degree murder. He was released in 2017 and died two months later. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.